Chapter 18 My skin tingled everywhere. The blue mold-like skrill that I'd absorbed was now oozing out of the pores on my arms like lava. It sloughed off in sheets slapping against the floor. It came out of my skin all over my body. I felt it under my clothes, in my hair. It was dry and warm and smelled like menthol and strawberries just like in the whorl. It had crossed over to the real world. I was infected. How could I not be? Rakulik saliva was pouring out of me. I had a parasite, a giant centipede creature that lived between worlds. Had it birthed its babies inside of me? Were they going to feed on my guts until they were big enough to hatch, splitting my chest like an eggshell? Kalia hadn't mentioned anything like that before. She'd said Rikulaks fed on choices. But what did that mean? And she'd admitted that she didn't know everything about them. And now I had one, just as the memorist and Nancy and Brad had wanted. I wiped the skrill from my face and flicked it on the floor. I took off my coat and shirt, batted at my torso, and shook like a wet dog. As the customers fled out the front door, I caught sight of May and M standing together, May's arm around her daughter, shock in their eyes, their mouths frozen open. There was a knock on the glass behind me. Brad. You did all my work for me bro. Nah it's cool though. He waved at May and M with a one-handed clap. Hi fam. Then looking back at me, we're ahead of schedule now boy so take your time saying goodbye cause you're not gonna see them for a while, like seriously. He pointed a thumb over his shoulder. How you like the new ride? Pretty sweet huh? I know a guy at the bank, didn't even have to wait for it to go on auction. Anyway don't try to run. Seriously bro. I'll hurt you if you do. As I watched him climb back onto my bus, I got an idea that made me thankful for his arrogance. He wouldn't wait an hour for Lou to come to the rescue, but he might wait long enough for me to summon a diversion. Charlie, May said. That, that stuff was in my dream. Me too. M said, excited. What does it mean? I don't know, I said, putting my clothes back on. But don't touch it. Get the shop vac. I'll clean it up. While May went to the storage closet, I logged on to the social media accounts for my tour guide business, and with a flurry of thumbs, I posted this message on all of them. Dear everyone, for the next 15 minutes only, my associate will be giving away free tickets to the 1964 Christmas flood tour. He is parked at the May I Have Another Bakery in McKinleyville. Look for the Lost Coast Excursions bus. He only has 10 tickets. First come, first serve. For the next 15 minutes only. I figured if there were enough brainwashed flood fanatics to form a line outside the Humboldt Historical Society, then there might be enough to distract Brad while we made our escape. After vacuuming up the skrill, I checked my phone. In two minutes, I'd received nearly a hundred responses. A chill ran through me. Something was drastically wrong with my community. Be ready to go, I said to May, who had filled the mop bucket and rolled it out to me. Go where? Kmart. We'll be safe there. It's like a sanctuary for our kind. Kmart? I lowered my voice, even though M wasn't listening. She was behind the counter, taking advantage of our preoccupation with the mess by helping herself to a chocolate croissant, 
which she wasn't allowed to have this late in the day. You and M have been poisoned with something no doctor can help you with. But I know a guy who can treat you. I'm not letting some wacko near my daughter. Hey. I pointed outside. You see Brad? He's part of the group that kidnapped me, that poisoned you and M. I don't know what they want from us, but they won't stop until they get it. Please just come with me to Kmart. This is real. All of it. Give me a chance to show you. Two cars pulled up, and the drivers who got out made a beeline for the bus. My plan had worked. These people really were brainwashed to be obsessed with a historic natural disaster. More cars came, and the drivers and passengers all crowded around the bus, cheerful, waving and talking to Brad, who was violently opening and shutting the door in an attempt to make them keep their distance. I was worried the cars had blocked in my rental car, but after a closer look, I could tell there was a path out if I drove over the curb. Come on. I said to May. It's now or never. May. I read in her face that she was on the fence, and usually my shouting only made her jump to the other side, but this time she listened. She followed me to the front, leading M by the hand. With my shoulder, I pushed the door open a crack into the scrum of deal seekers, and we slipped outside and pinballed our way to the car. Brad was out of the bus now, cursing just a few spaces away, shoving people to the ground. Oddly, his violence did little to disturb their exuberance. We hopped in the rental. Hold on, I said after the car doors shut and M was buckled in. I put my foot on the gas and the car hopped the curb like a champ. We turned onto Central Avenue and took off. I saw Brad in the rearview mirror still raging against the witless throng. Trying to restore some normalcy for my niece, or maybe it was more for myself because she seemed to be fine, I reached back and pointed to the pocket on the back of the passenger seat and said, there's an early Christmas present for you. With a smile, I watched her eyes widen as she pulled out the photographic history of the Civil War book I'd gotten her from Kmart, back at the beginning of this whole thing. I tried to spoil her whenever I got the chance. After all, she didn't have grandparents around to do it. May and I didn't know the identity of our father or the location of our mother most of the time. And M's grandparents on her father's side, along with the father himself, were out of the picture for good reason. M loved spending hours in her room making collages. I was always on the lookout for new material for her. She liked historical photos and classic art the most, basically the real high-end coffee table books, which got expensive quickly at the rate she ran through them. A lot of time she had to make do with comics. Sometimes on the weekends between tours I would cruise yard sales. I found the Louvre, all the paintings and 101 great samurai prints that way. Her collages, in her uncle's opinion anyway, were intricate pieces of art in their own right, not something you would expect from an 11-year-old. For a while my sister had thought M was on the autism spectrum, but M had shown no other signs. Thank you Uncle Charlie, she said, opening the book. I'd been a little worried about the extremely adult subject matter of the photos, but I'd thought my niece was mature enough to handle it. Besides, she was an artist, and artists needed fuel. That was how I rationalized it anyway. My worries returned when she said, I know what happens when we die. I laughed out of surprise. You do. We become lunch ladies. 
I laughed again. Is that right? In my nightmare, I died and went to a cafeteria that looked like the one at school, but there were old people in line and I was giving them food. And I was big, and I had an apron. It was scary. I bet. But you don't have to worry about that anymore. It was just a dream. I wasn't exactly lying to her. Whatever she saw, whether it was a whorl or something else, at least resembled a dream. She scowled at me. It wasn't a dream. Are you alive? I said. Yes. Are you a lunch lady? No, but maybe I will be after I die. If that's what you want to do when you grow up, that's fine. But people don't turn into lunch ladies after they die. Why not? Yeah, May said, goading me. Why not? That's just not how it works. How do you know? M said. How do I know we don't all become lunch ladies when we die? I said, trying to buy time to think. I had no answer for that, but I wasn't going to give up. It's intuitive. It's just something I know in my bones. I think your bones are wrong. That made us all laugh like we were at the end of a sitcom episode, a sad desperate laugh that was trying too hard to forget our troubles.